Welcome to Tilth Talk Radio. <clears throat> Today we're going to be talking corn pollination, what we're seeing out in the field this week. Spotlight, we'll take a look at a overhaul of the milk price, potentially. Egg History Minute, we'll talk state fair. Cool beans, that's corny. We'll have some current events. We'll wrap things up with a Field Good Friday. With me today are Bill Schomberg. Hey, guys. Todd Schomberg. Hey to all the Tilties out there. And I'm Matt Brueger, all with Tilth Agronomy. It's hot outside. It's very it's hot. It is July, though. It is, but we've had kind of just a weird, like we have really hot June, and then beginning of July, then things kind of tapered off, and now all of a sudden I was like, oh, guess what? We're back. At least, at least it's not getting as hot as they said it was earlier in the week. I was just going to say that, Matt. Like last week, it's like, oh my God, every day is going to be 95. They were talking triple digit digits, but now yep. that's out of the forecast. Looks like one day. Right. Yeah, it's it's not the heat, though. It's the gosh darn humidity. <laughs> Which we need that, too. Yes. We were lacking that earlier in the no, year. No, it was like it was hot earlier, but a dry heat. Right. And this, you can definitely tell, is it's more humid, and it's it's, it's hot. It's just, and it's There's breeze at times, but there's also times where it, it doesn't feel like enough breeze. And then there's times where you have wildfire smoke to kind of yeah, make just the kinda... sun less, you know, not beating down on these hard. It is hot. We're still not getting, even with the humidity and the heat, we're still not getting the rains, though. Not always. Yesterday, it was supposed to, yeah, we were supposed to get an inch, and I don't even know if we got a tenth or two. South got more, like EAA brought in oh, a lot. Sure, they course. got over an inch. So you go like Oshkosh and further south, and they got hit with a lot more rain. And north did, too, because the night before, like, you go north of Pulaski, they got almost two. Yeah, it seemed like, I mean, it was dark in the morning. Everything was kind of, like, right, like a normal heavy rain-type situation, and then everything just kind of fizzled out. I don't know what you think, Todd, but my travels, I think, like, Greenleaf area has got some of the worst corn in the... I don't know what yours was over there, but it, mine does not look good over it's there. It's so spotty. That's what's weird about this year is I, like, in that area, I do have some actually very good-looking corn. Not far. Like, you go to Dundas, not yeah. that far from Greenleaf. Corn looks fine, fine. and pretty good. Yep. It is funny and how that's been happening more this year. Like, yeah. Wapaka is getting rain, but Manawa seems to be just just on the edge of, like, not getting it as much. Anyway. Right. We're getting and, some. And we're talking about places that are 15-minute Dry, not yeah, even, not I mean, even, 10 yeah. miles, five miles away. So that's what's, it, and you watch the weather and it does say the word spotty, isolated, and it does feel like all, we haven't had like a full out storm that kind of equalizes everybody. No. So I don't know that I can say that, Bill, that yeah. that's some of the toughest looking corn because we just drive go, five miles. It's like, it's like, want the weather well, to change? Just wait a day, right? Like, there, there's just, areas. Down south, where you get into real sand and they're not irrigated, uh, yeah. you get into like Washera County and so that that's tough. Is it like right waist now, high? It's, it's like waist to shoulder high, very uneven, and then some are throwing stress tassel, some won't tassel for a while yet. So it's just that part of it's odd. But they've they've had that before, and 
sandy soils. You know, they've, they're they've, used to that. They, yes. So the, they kind of, what shocks me more is like a green leaf area that's more of a heavy clay, yeah. wet soil. So you'd think, oh, the wet soils will just shine this year. And I've actually had some of my wetter soils. It was either the real sandy soils or my real wet soils are actually really bad too because. It seems like they, those, those wet spots just dried out completely. Right. Yeah. Right. Well, and they were they were compacted yep. because when we were planting, they weren't quite ready. Yep. Because it was kind of wet yet when yep. we were planting. Or they worked it wet. Right. And so you went like, oh, you know, and, and then it just dried up completely on them, like Matt said. So it was just this very weird thing that you'd think on a dry year, your wetter soils, the ones that can hold more moistures, would do better. And they're not always. Actually, some of those are my worst looking fields because you're like why aren't you better <laughs> you should be better this is your year to shine what's your what's your temperature number that you just like this is too much too hot yeah is it for him or for the crops? for us not for, oh. not the crops right but just for us like what is the number like when the weatherman said it's gonna be this number the 90 you're like dang it i'm pretty similar to corn like over 86 so much, but I I can take till like ninety two, yeah. and it's too hot. It's way too hot over that. Uh, find more like eighty two. <laughs> yeah, <clears throat> especially if it's humid like it's been lately. <clears throat> the, you, you can just sweat standing still is never what I would consider comfortable. Yeah, there feels sucks. like there feels like temp is real. I feel. Yeah. Because there's times where, God, it feels hotter and it's only like 82. And you look and it just feels like 90. And you're like, okay, that's why. Maybe if there's a breeze or something like that, then higher temperatures aren't as bad. But, yeah, it really varies depending on condition. How about you, Bill? I'm in your category. Like, the older I get, the more I don't like winter. So The the heat doesn't bother you as much as it used to. I do got to watch myself, like, make sure I drink enough water. Yep. Do the old school stuff like that. Shade. I can't believe how much shade helps. Yeah, like huge. even when the corn. That's what's almost tough about this short corn this year is usually you get into like There's 12 no foot tall corn and it's hot and still in the corn, but you got shade so it ain't as bad. Where this year, like the tassels are right in your face. Yeah. A lot of cornfields this year. So slapping you in the no, face. No, it's like usually you get pollen all over you. This, it's like, it's pot, like it's like just in your face. So it's. It's a little different in pollinating corn this year. Even had some of the scouts say it's it's diff. Yeah, it's like man, it's really throwing pollen. I, I think it's throwing the same amount of pollen. It's just, it's just closer. It's just literally in your face. Yeah. So or right or right above you, where usually it's kind of raining down on top, but it ain't so bad. This is yeah. It's just the the shorter corns making it more difficult. As much as we've been talking about bad corn, there still is a lot of really good stuff. That has been getting, you know, tenth or half an inch or, you know, just... So there is some really good stuff out there, too. Amazingly good stuff. And the USDA report that came out this week basically kept corn the same this week. You know, the the ratings for good to excellent. But I wonder how they really look at that. Like we just said, within well, within the five miles, you can have very different looking corn and that's very mid, mid the whole midwest is similar to it's funny that. to talk to people who've gone to like other states they're like oh yeah like yeah. the corn looks really good and then you talk to another person they're like oh yeah their corn looks I, like crap it's like where where <laughs> in the state where and they're naming the same right it's the same it, state like and Iowa. it's even the same area too like yeah. same not obviously it wasn't the exact same area but it 
it's not like they're western to eastern part of the state or anything like that. It's it's like, oh, yeah, Minnesota corn looks really good. And then they talk next day, oh, Minnesota corn, Ooh. not so good. Like the so, Dakotas apparently are shining this year from what but I've heard. I've, also, I've heard but, mostly shining, but I've heard a couple reports of which meh. That's, which like, is normal for them. Right, meh true, is normal true. for the Dakotas. Yeah, that's true. Meh. <clears throat> So they're they're normal or above nor or above excellent or above or whatever you want to say and I think the drought monitor gets updated soon too, doesn't it? Yep. Is it every, once a week? Every Thursday. Every, every Thursday. Thursday. That, so we'll see how that changed from yeah, last that week. Probably changed some, but it it seems like that too is having a hard time because we're also at a very high uptake. So we need the rain now. Yeah, and we're right. in places are getting some of that rain. But we're kind of to that point, and I've seen it over the years with irrigating corn. Matt, you and I have probably seen that where it's amazing that after pollination, how much that corn actually, it needs moisture yet. Don't get me wrong, but it, it also will start to taper off fairly quickly of that really maximum uptake. Yeah. No, so, we always, one of the guys we work with down there always said, you know, I stop irrigating when I see puddles because then they knew everything was kind of hit that point of, all right, we've got what we need. and Yeah, the corn's just kind of, it's it, like you say, it's got enough what it needs. It's big. It, it's filling out the cobs yet, and it still needs some rain, but it, it, it levels out, that's for sure. Yeah. So we've basically pretty much gotten into our topic. We've been yeah, talking corn pollination. And, I mean, this year with the uneven corn, because we've got some corn fields where, the unevenness really isn't going to be that big of a deal, and we've got other ones where you've got 30 or more days between one plant to the next, and there are big enough areas where you do have, literally, it's a tale of two stands when you look out in the field, because you've got the sections where it's about waist or maybe chest high now, and the other stuff that's over your head. So, yeah, uneven corn pollinating is... Is it good because we have staggered pollination, so there'll be more opportunities for pollen to fly? Or is it bad because somewhere in, along the line, some of that corn's going to miss out because it wasn't ready to accept the pollen while it was flying? It's a, that's a very good point. I want to start off with this, is that corn pollination, basically next to like planting or stand establishment, is probably the most important sort of, especially phase. One of the bad part is... Planting and stand establishment as growers, we can we can do a lot to affect that. Whereas pollination, we don't maybe have as it's it's extremely important, but there's a lot less we can do to sort of change a poor pollen. There's a few things. It's just a phase, Todd. It'll grow out. There, of it. It, it will. It actually will yes, grow out of it. It is just a phase. every year. Every year it'll grow out of it. <laughs> That's Hopefully right. this year it continues to grow out of it at all. Feels like it might be stuck here, but. If you miss this one and you have a problem during it, it is extremely detrimental. So before now, too, when guys ask me yield estimates or anything like that, they're very hard because if you if you have a poor pollinating or, or have a problem with pollination, your whole that whole thing gets thrown out. Right. So this part is is really watching, you know, how it's how it's going. Like I said, the amount of interventions we can do, very little. I mean there's things like We've, We've seen, seen helicopter, helicopters yep. fly low with the wash. We actually, uh, it's with the drones now. Yeah. Locally, I just saw a video of a grower that had some fungicide applied 
on Tuesday, and like they're really jacked about this. And I know you right. had said, Todd, we, you did some. We did, we did a sweet corn field, but this, this it was like a part of. So usually, sweet corn pollinates ahead of the of the field corn. Yeah, but the, in this case, they're you know. Ten rows of sweet corn. It was right. It's pollinating right with the field corn, and the way the wind's blowing, it seems like it was. So, Jake took the drone reel low on the sweet corn to try to like get that pollen down to the sweet, just to just more playing around with it. But it there it does throw. But wash like even, and even wind. the little drones, yeah, do right. quite a bit of drown draft that they right. throw. So, but and this one with the fungicide, like you could actually see the corn moving like a very very stiff wind. Like sure. So I think that. I just, what I hope is, like, it doesn't push it too fast. Too Does that make sense? Like, that it doesn't have an opportunity to hit the silks? Maybe I'm not thinking at that right, but, because it seemed like, I mean, you got, when you we, know, when three we watched, foot long impellers or two foot long impellers. When we watch the helicopters do it, though, that, I mean, that wash is yeah. crazy. So I don't think it would do any sure. faster than that. It It almost seems like they want it to sort of, like, just fast downdraft would kind of recirculate in there. Got it. Kind of come back up yeah, a little bit. They're flying with the skids, like, in the cornrows. <laughs> it was, it's as close it's as that you close. Can, yeah. yeah. This isn't, like, like... They're trying to touch it. Yeah. Pretty much. Pretty much. I mean, as low as you... Well, lower than I'd feel comfortable flying one, but they're... Yeah, they're very low on it. So, so it definitely needs that wind to push it and get it down. One thing I've seen this year that... It's not even the tassel date or timing. It's when the silks are popping out. Is that some some varieties, some of the stress response I've seen with this drier weather at times, that the the tassels are, say, full out pollinating, but then there's not even a silk out on that plant. So I, I think you're right, Matt, though, saying this unevenness will actually potentially help us because of the... Yeah, be more opportunity. The, yes, there's a lot more pollen to go around. Or the silks don't come out. Normally, right, right, like you get half of them that get stuck or right can't get through that leaf material, and then you get a half a cob pollinated. I've been surprised. I don't know if you guys have noticed this, but walking a couple of BMR fields, seeing some double cobs on have it not and not just in like headland areas where you'd expect it, where there's lower population, but not. And I wouldn't say it's like the whole field, but just walking through, and all of a sudden you'll find one that's thrown a double. I didn't. I guess I didn't expect as much of that this year with the drought conditions. And hundred yeah. percent. So yes, couldn't believe the amount of doubles at times where you go like, "Holy man!" It, and again, that was lower population where it had stress problems with emergence. Or the other spot I saw it was those really late emerging plants that are now dang near non-existent. They're sort of two feet tall, and then the neighbor that's way more dominant over it that's throwing two cobs. Sure. So. We might make up for some of that goofy emergence. I didn't even think of it problem. that way. Like, yeah, it's, it's got more space, so it's right. going to throw a second one. And, yeah. and it is dominating over those little plants. It's um, unreal. Like, I thought I thought by now you'd have that, like, close, but they're not, they're not even close. So, yeah, you're right, Matt. We are seeing a few more doubles than... Especially, like you said, this year you're worried about just getting one cob right. on. Right. Like, no, 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 don't overextend right, yourself. Right, like... like are you sure you can handle this two cobs? Because, you know, if you're going to do this, that's, that'd be good. And there's never any guarantee on that second cob. Like, it it could be like the the conjoined twin 
where it's just kind of hanging there and not doing a whole lot compared to the primary cob, but. Let's talk what this heat does with pollination. I mean, extreme heat is not good for pollination. You just don't get, you know, the the pollen doesn't, it's not as. can make the, the plants less fertile. Yes. So, so that is one scary part. However, one good thing with the heat we seem to be getting is there's reprieves at night and it's getting it cool enough on some nights and it needs to be really hot for really long, you know, like three, four, five days, an extended heat period with with pretty pretty hot at night as well to, to really affect it. Uh, rain, when you get breaks where, where places did get rain, that seems to help with pollination a lot. Where I think that's you know both moving pollen around and kind of giving that plant a little bit of a reprieve from the stress it's going through and it has been getting it seems cool enough most nights to get a pretty decent dew and that really that's this year more than any other year that i can remember just walking fields early in the morning and now i've had to use my rain pants more frequently we went for like some of our scouts said they're like why do we even have this rain gear he's only (laughs) used it like three times right and I was like, really? Just, just wait. Just wait. Right. And now in this week, it's been extremely dewy. So, yes. And that, yeah, you look right down the rows, and you can see that nice black strip of yep. wet soil right, right where, where the, the plants are. Where the and then plant, it's dry yeah. in between. So, at least you know it's funneling all that moisture to, to itself. All that wide drops we're putting on right now, hopefully that's uh, right. getting that that's moved getting that move down. You wonder if that pushes pollen around, too. Oh, right. Sure, having those I hoses see. <laughs> flapping. <laughs> right. The one outside, I see the Hagee sprayer just full of tassels. Like the whole front end was like it was breaking them off. You know, yeah. like it was hitting them and kind of snapping them. Combination so, white drop detest. Yeah, that I don't know. That would be ideal, but that was just over the cab, too. It wasn't the whole boom length doing that. But wonder, wondering how much that pushes pollen around or, or, not, or like I said, maybe it can hinder it at times too where you're kind of knocking tassels two nights ago todd and we i don't think we got below 70 right but last night it was in the 60 lower 60s i think a couple days ago like earlier in the week it was like 51 overnight so we are getting that resting period do you guys agree i mean and we know it's got to respire at night like we perspire right corn has to do that take a break and so it does like it likes hot days, but sort of that a little cooler at night, not seventy. And I do feel that corn pollination I've seen is has a lot to do with that low temperature. That if if we can get that low temperature in the sixties overnight, it seems like we can get successful pollination. It seems like years you're like, why does corn not pollinate very well? It hasn't been super hot. It's been wet. Like, and then you think about it. Oh, we've had really just warm nights, hot at night. Yeah, it just never cools off. It's so far, so let's talk about what you've seen successfully. So one of the tricks to check pollination is you grab that sort of green cob, and the silks can still be pretty white yet. Obviously, if the tops are sort of brown or darker, you should probably have a very successful pollen. Like yeah. If, if all the silks look brown, but while they still look white, and then those, before those kernels emerge, grab that cob, you cut it down the side, basically, and kind of peel the the husks away 
kind of around it without trying to disturb the silks. Then you hold out the, the, the cob and shake it. It's like a shake test. And any silks that dislodge from the cob without basically pulling them off, if they just sort of fall away, then, then you know those have been, you know, germinated or, or pollinated at that time. So that's a really good way to sort of check. Fertilize Do you like yell bingo in the field or something? Oh, like, oh, yeah, we nailed it. Especially this year, it seems like cobs are I'm like, this doesn't even look like it would be pollinated yet. I've got ones where the whole middle of those cobs is pollinated. Really? Like where it's just shooting silks. Sure. So the, the top of the cob and the bottom of the cob are usually the last to pollinate. It's just, you especially think the top would be earlier because the silks would be closer, but usually those throw silks towards the end or they're like the shorter silks that come later. So, so far, I've seen extremely successful pollination. So that's actually really good news is the, the more we're checking, the more we're seeing that these look like they're getting enough pollen to them. They're, they're doing fine. So most of that, though, is on corn that was fairly, fairly even tasseled. You know, not all of them are tasseled yet, but not this where you got 10% of the field tassel and the other 90%. That's a little ways off. So that corn we'll see. But corn where you, from the road, you're like, oh, it looks okay. It looks pretty good. Those fields seem to have ec- excellent pollination and doing sure. okay. Yeah, I think the the amount of tassels this week has increased, but it's still, I haven't seen, at least in this area, a lot of fields that have fully tasseled yet. It seemed like they were just getting going beginning of the week. Now, by the, the end of the week here, it's probably like at 70, 75% in places. And it's, I think some of the, the really later corn, depending how low, far between tassels we get and how much of it's there, may, like like we talked about earlier, may give us that boost, but uh, also it could be just too little too late, depending on how much of the field it really is. And I haven't seen, I've seen Japanese beetle hanging around in mostly soybeans, but not as much in in corn this year. So as far as silk clippers, that's one that doesn't seem to be quite as out there yet. Um, what about ripworm beetles? You guys seeing much of that so far this year? Potential, yes. yes. Potential is a good word. Seeing some where before, say, silks were out, and you're like, holy man, there's enough rootworm beetles here, and then you come back the next week and... The silks are out and they don't seem to be as bad. So I think very uneven emergence of these rootworm beetles and seeing less emergence sort of this last week of July than I was seeing that middle of July, which is also odd. Sure. I, Bill, would you agree with that? Yeah, I would agree with you, Todd. And rootworm beetles just piss me off because, <laughs> <laughs> like, you've seen them in fields and they're just everywhere and you count per plant and it's three times threshold or whatever it is. And it's like, why aren't these just chowing on the silks and we should be out here spraying and they're doing nothing. Like maybe they're not hungry. I don't know. Like that. If you think of the corn rootworm, it is one of the most unique and frustrating insects Mm -hmm. that it both feeds on the roots, which are extremely important and can make your corn lodge. And then as it emerges and it's a beetle form, you know, we talked this you know, pollination is the most 
critical part yeah. of this this process that we have very little control about. And then they just clip silks, and basically what they'll do is yeah, clip the silks at kind of the top, and then the corn usually can do a really good job of overproducing silk to try to do what it can right. to outfight them. But there's times where you'll get you know five or six in that one year, and they'll just clip and clip and clip, and then the cob doesn't fertilize or pollinate, and you're going like, oh, my God, how can this bug be that? <laughs> much of a dick like it's just the word like it does both it's not like one where we're used to just it's it's the biker gang and oh yes where they show up in a town wreck everything <laughs> leave and then they come back later and do it again yes yeah. this one this one is like does not stop so uh, what's odd i would agree with bill this year though is the potentials there however there's some fields where we've been in and we keep marking like okay we got to watch out right. for this one because it might be a problem watch out for this one might be a problem and Previous years, beetle counts have been low. Right. Especially this time of year. Yeah. Like, usually beetles come on August 1st and through August. And that's what I think is odd about this year is the emergence timing is for them to be as high as they are in July is, is quite odd. And maybe that's why they, why in past years it isn't that big of a deal because we're past pollination for the most part when they are emerging. And right. maybe maybe it's this is a indicator that this year could be a higher potential clipping year right because they are earlier because they're earlier than normal I, I agree with you on that we've we've always seen over the years where like late planted corn seem to get them worse because they had those fresh silks out like later in like early august and stuff and like you said now the way they're emerging the other weird part is the size of them within the field like usually you'll see them all fairly similar like They've got, I think they call it gravid when they're full of eggs. Oh. The adult females, they're like the big fat ones. But I'll see like little ones that must have just emerged, at middle-sized one and the fully big grown ones. ones within the same. So the only part that way too is I feel like they're emerging over a longer period than ever before. And we've seen that because we've seen it where they're still emerging in September yet. And so maybe these early emergers too is is we aren't going to get that big flush because they're emerging over such a long period of time. So it won't be a big enough flush to sort of go after the silks. The one thing we did see is on these uneven silking and tasseling fields is, holy man, there's some plants that, like say right now it's 5% out with silks and tassels. They're, they're all on that those one. plants. Yeah, sure. So those are frustrating too is like, well, how do we, how do you manage for that? So yeah, I, they, they've been something that I, do think you really got to be watched. You got to be paying attention. One thing I'd say with bugs right now is it seems like the soybean aphids have really sort of fallen off, fallen yeah. off, and that's not a problem anymore. And yep. we've kind of shifted to rootworm beetle scouting being more of a priority. Yep. All right. Last thing I guess to touch on real quick is what have you guys seen for wheat yields? Anything come you- off in your neighborhood yet? Not a lot, actually. Like, no, I, the, I think the humidity has kept this, everything kind of tough. I was at a shocking baseball tournament over the weekend, and one of the players' dads is a farmer and actually one of our clients. And he said, uh, we were blaming him for the rain. Every time he'd get fire up the combine and go out, it'd, it'd sprinkle on him. But um, he just said it's tough. The straw is really tough. So... Sure. I haven't seen a ton of combines. It looks like next week, like the weather's going to change. So what isn't off is going to be off. Yeah, it was end of this week, early next week is what I've been seeing as far as 
Harvest Windows. I know I did see a tweet by Sean Connolly. They must have took some plots off in Fond du Lac. And sounds like they've been seeing pretty decent yields to the south in, in those scenarios. Not that everything's good, but they've been good or better than expected. I think it is shockingly better than expected. Yeah. Especially how short it is. Shorter. Right. We didn't... Wheat's always hard to peg. I mean, I got, I got one farm I told them, like, you know, we gave... We started with the bushel range of, like, 80 to 100, and then it seemed like we pared it down to, like, 60 to 80. Yeah. Like, that's what we thought. And as it's coming off, it's more on the higher end of the 80s, which is good. So... I've heard a couple I, hundreds. Even. Yes. So, yeah. so there's good... But shockingly good that you can hit that kind of yield um it, they're like even the green leaf area you talked about earlier bill where the corn looks up there's some hundred yeah wheat fields going there so this like timeliness of rains sure seems in isolated incidents where it it just got it at the right time and early on those soils were really wet too so right. that yeah. had so adequate they, moisture well into probably mid you know, June. They could hang on to it well, yeah. For the wheat standpoint. Yep. So the irony of this year of having, like, flood out areas in wheat fields. Yes. In the drought year, and then, yeah, after that it kind of It's a good point, Matt, though. Maybe that's more of it, too, than we think. We we don't have the zeros this year. There's very little, like, completely flooded out. Yeah, there's... Yeah. Yes, so you're right. And and that is a good point. It'll be interesting looking at the yield monitor data as we get off, like, was there spots at say one fifty and forty, and we averaged eighty, or or is it going to be a tighter sort of spot where you just got a couple of these droughty areas that are real tough? That that's what my heart is. Is sandy soils? Some of those are they're tough that they just they ran out. They yeah, just, right. They just ran out of water, and and amazingly, to be honest with those, it's amazing that we'll get forty bushel off those the way they looked. You're like this isn't going to yield anything, yeah. and so. That part's, I guess, a little bit... Mark the tape, Todd. We're going to be saying this in two months about corn. Corn, (laughs) yeah. We don't have those drowned-out spots again this year. All them them clay fields at the surface drains that we never have corn in that you're always frustrated with, those those spots aren't there. A goose egg changes yield a lot. You know, you take a zero in a spot and average average a zero into anything and you see what you get. So you're right. You start averaging in... Not maybe not even say corn silage, say you're averaging in 14 ton, that's still way better than a zero. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, you're right. All right, so there you go. That's corn pollination is happening to going to be happening soon. And what we're seeing now is hopefully going to carry through that the hot weather won't affect us as much, but we'll keep an eye on things and some wheat yield surprises. So Now let's move into our spotlight for today. So a USDA hearing could lead to a milk price overhaul. Responding to industry petitions, the USDA said it would open a hearing on August 23rd for possible changes to the complex federal milk marketing order system that sets price for farmers on fresh milk. So this would be the first time since 1937. Uh, That's when the marketing order system dates from. There are 11 regions with marketing orders that cover most but not all of the 50 states and three-quarters of U.S. milk production. So there will be testimony allowed 
Uh, witnesses will be given an hour for testimony. And there are 19 proposals to modify marketing orders. Dairy farms may testify in person at any time during the hearing or virtually via Zoom on Fridays for 15 minutes apiece beginning September 1st. If you want to register, there is a website here, and it is federalregister.gov, <clears throat> and it's milk in the Northeast and other marketing areas. Notice of hearing and proposed amendments to marketing agreements and orders. So that could make a big difference. I mean, we've seen milk prices kind of drifting down there throughout the year. Yeah. And <laughs> Drifting's a, like tanked down for a, yeah. for a while, you know, and it's frustratingly low. One of the things they do say is there's a proposed sort of one of the issues with greatest support is the use of higher of rather than average of in the formula so that that could basically help, you know, obviously average is much different than using the higher. Right. Of, so just changing that formula in some ways sounds like it could really, really help. Anything to help at this point would be great. But this, you know, this is going to take time. And yeah, it'll take a while. Effort, it's going to go through this process. There'll be a final decision. Uh, USDA will have a description of the process. And then producers would vote in a referendum to approve changes later once that's complete. So we'll see what happens. But yes, this is, like you say, go go find out more about it. See what you can as a dairy farmer do to, to get your, to petition and get your voice heard. Get your voice heard, yep. All right, now we'll move into our Ag History Minute. Last week we talked about our county fair, and this week we'll talk the state fair, which is coming up soon. The Wisconsin State Fair has a rich history dating back to 1851, when the first state fair was held in Janesville along the banks of the Rock River. State Fair has evolved over time to meet current trends, including large farm machinery displays in the late 1800s. Agriculture was the main feature in the first decade, with exhibits like a 200-pound squash and a quarter-acre plowing competition with teams of horses and oxen. State Fair was the largest reported gathering of, at any Wisconsin event held up to that date in 1851. First State Fair was held in early October and lasted two to four days, with an admission price of ten cents to twenty-five cents, I think it costs a little bit more now to go. The Everything costs a lot today. more now, right? I think it's up to like yeah, fourteen to eighteen dollars. Get in the the twenty twenty-three dates for State Fair are Thursday, August third to Sunday, August thirteenth. That's one thing I always thought was cool is how long right. yeah. it's a two weeks long. Yep. Or two yeah, days. I mean it's just. That that was always shocking to me that that'd be a long event to be a vendor at or prepare for or, or do yeah it just it's really neat that it's that long. Imagine if plows showed up today right. in <laughs> downtown right. Milwaukee. Like we're gonna have a plowing competition and yeah, a quarter acre that would yeah. be hard to match. I think the equipment to do yeah. an actual competition <laughs> with. All right, we're gonna do. We a need forty acres, <laughs> not a quarter. It is amazing to me that it's moved around. Like you always think of, 
Well, technically, there are <laughs> multiple state fairs, too, because there's oh, the yeah, Northern Wisconsin right. State it Fair. There's a state fair, yeah. Yeah, so there's a little bit of... Uh, Even, like, in Michigan, there's a UP State Fair. Yep. And then, like, a lower state fair. Yeah, I think they just call their state uh, fair. But U- UP is, is, is Michigan, Todd. It's not Wisconsin. <laughs> yes. It's it should be Wisconsin, I, but it's not. I wonder how much people they get from Wisconsin at their... State. I'm sure, yeah. They probably get more Wisconsin people counties, than lower yeah. Michigan people. But, but yeah, and it, it was in Fond du Lac for a couple of years, which I think is cool in, the, like, the late 1800s. And then they said a couple of times they did have to cancel the state fair. So it was for few wartime things and then 2020 covid but it was been kind of like to think that it's been going since almost you know, since we've been a state yes wisconsin became a state in 1848 first state fair was 1851 so that, that's years. sort yeah. of unbelievable to think that it's been that long and then the coolest thing i think they used to have like a football game at the state fair in the 30s so like that i i the only part I couldn't really figure out was who's playing football there. You know, like who wasn't at that time it was late August. So I wonder if it was yeah, why like football. A, why aren't we playing some I, like baseball? Some baseball or, in yeah. August. Yeah, but yeah, they you can see the the pictures and you can see like the grandstand in the background and then them playing football. But I'm like that would be quite the event. So good, thank you, Matt, and hope all of any of the listeners out there go enjoy State Fair. I know it's always fun to see exhibits out there and what you know all there's a lot of exhibits there's a lot to do there and then you got to finish it off and get a cream puff so thanks to all listeners out there appreciate you all we ask is that you tell a farmer friend to subscribe to the podcast all they need to do is search tilt talk radio and apple podcasts or an android download an app we like podcast attic works great to play podcasts in that app you search tilt talk radio hit subscribe you can also listen on your computer or smartphone browser. Go to tiltheg.com slash podcast. We're also available on Amazon Music, and you can follow us on Facebook and Twitter at Tilth Talk Radio. All right. Thanks, Todd. Now it's time for some cool beans. That's corny and some current events. So cool beans. Cool beans. Cool beans. Cool beans. All right. Our cool beans this week. Norwegian phosphate rock discovered could meet global fertilizer demand for the next 50 years. Norge Mining, a Norwegian mining company, unearthed 70 billion metric tons of phosphate rock 2.7 miles below the Earth's surface in 2021. The company now estimates the discovery will supply the world with phosphate for 50 years. According to Columbia University, 90% of the world's mined phosphate is used as fertilizer in ag. Morocco supplies 34% of the world's traded phosphorus rock which is then refined in China, Vietnam, and Norway, according to the European Union. But this dynamic could soon change with Norge Mining's discovery. So their Minister of Trade, Jan Christian Vestra, says the country plans to use carbon capture practices to refine the 70 billion metric ton phosphate rock in a move to develop the world's most sustainable mineral industry. While ag will likely use the majority of the mineral, Norge Mining says it will also be used in lithium ion or lithium iron phosphate batteries, in electric vehicles, and also in solar and chip manufacturing. So didn't yeah. know Norwegian. Nor- didn't know Norway was this big. Uh, I I think we're finding. Well, think of like the the shale oil in the Dakotas. Yeah, you know, like yeah. hundred years ago, you didn't even think of that as being a place that we'd 
be getting this much oil. So with with these discoveries they're finding in mining is just unbelievable. And and this one too, where you've always heard we'll run out or we'll have problems, and obviously those are things we want to be aware of and you know making sure we're managed for. But when basically one discovery says can meet the demand for fifty years, it's sort of shocking. Yeah, I mean it's new technologies and new discoveries change those things. I mean, yeah, there was probably a time when, yeah, we were going to run out because we right. didn't know when the next one was going to come, but now we found and how it, do we, so. how we'd get to it. And, and that's all changed now. So it's right, pretty, what, what did it say? What it was 2.7 miles below the earth. So that's wow. yeah, pretty far that's down. That's far down. That is far down. All right. That's corny this week. The Midwest is set to bake under high heat. Ag meteorologists now worry about crop damage. So portions of the Midwest can see the most challenging weather yet this year, and according to leading ag meteorologists, it's creating more concern for crop conditions. With heat forecasts atop 100 degrees, and I know other parts of the country have hit, uh, areas in the hundreds, Texas, Tennessee, I think, had a couple hot days. So it's not out of the realm of possibility that we could get there. USDA meteorologist Brad Rippey says the stubborn high heat that's been in the south and southwest will push its way into the Midwest by the middle of the week. Growing season has been far from perfect, but overall crop condition ratings have seen steady improvements throughout the month of July. Last week's drought monitor showed 55% of the U.S. corn crop and 50% of the soybeans are covered in drought an improvement from 70% of corn and 63% of soybeans considered to be in drought as of the last week of July. So, or June, sorry. We're in July. So, yeah, there are potential for challenges, and even though we're not set to hit the triple digits where we are, there's other parts of the Midwest that still could see that hot weather. So, be nice when it's over. Have you ever heard of stress degree days? Mm-mm. Yeah, this Eric Snodgrass, he's kind of a weather guy that tweets out stuff. And he's got a tweet here that basically saying, headed into this, he uses STDs, which are stress degree days. And basically you get one, they're calculated by any adding the, the degrees above 86 for each day. So if the example is if it's 95 degrees today, then you're going to have nine stress degree days accumulated. And anything over 140 stress degree days in that year, you can get yield loss. So I've, I've never heard of no. SDDs. Say and, uh, SDD calculator? Yes, I, I mean. We should get an SDD calculator. That would be... Not to be confused with an STD no, calculator. That would be much different. I don't different. want to see that calculator. That's the calculator we want to... But yeah, stress degree days, so it's something to uh, to kind of be aware of. And I, I'm wondering if we're in Wisconsin, it's probably not as, I mean, we get days like that, but to get to 140 of those degree units would be hard. But you look now at like kind of southern Iowa, Illinois, they're, they're definitely getting enough of those um, that, that could be a problem, so... Yeah, let's hope that's not something we uh, we get to here. That'd be not good. All right. Let's go into our Field Good Friday. And 
this one's kind of a on the border of field. Good, I agreed, but. agreed. I was this is a bit of a reach. I just thought it was an interesting, you know, fun little article. At, but the people that this affects probably well, were pretty upset. Probably not feeling as oh, good yeah, they unless were, they like a variety of peppers. Yes. So mislabeled jalapeno seeds have reached gardeners nationwide. At least they're not mystery seeds from China like we had a few years ago. <laughs> yeah. um, that was weird. But due to the mass distribution of them, it's hard to track the origin. And many gardeners surprised when their jalapeno plants began producing yellow peppers. From Michigan to Oklahoma, Facebook gardening groups have been flooded with hundreds of posts about unidentified peppers that vary in flavor and heat level. It's become known nationwide as Peppergate or Jalapeno Gate. Yes, I like Peppergate. Yes, that's the scandal rocking the gardening gardening community. community. This is just scandal. I mean, I I mean, like it's not ghost chilies you're growing. Right, that's a a sustained higher level right, of heat. Right, could actually like really harm or hurt somebody badly. But, but yellow peppers, I don't think ghost chilies are yellow, so it's probably just a more mild It did sound pepper. like in general two people just had... peppers. Yeah, they they had all kind like what what was labeled one pepper came out different, so it was just all over the board of, of this pepper gate. Uh, and then there's a bunch of people on Reddits and different things trying to like can anyone ID what these really are then? You know, like, what do I have here? How spicy is this going to be? So that also would be quite the uh, fun. You, you have to kind of just try and see how spicy they are. Yeah, I mean, they're still peppers. So you just have to try a little bit. And Pepper seeds are very similar looking, all of them. So they said that was one of the biggest parts of this. Is Right. Somehow can't just look at the seeds. No, oh, yeah, this is somebody definitely there. like screwed up in the factory and mislabeled a bunch, and then just kind of went out. At least it's not like Palmer and water hemp seeds getting mixed in or something. But all right, that'll do it for this week. Thanks for being here, guys. Thanks for having us, Matt. So this week we talked corn pollination and stress, as well as some of the. Insects that can affect it. Also, some wheat yield surprises out there as wheat is still coming off. In our spotlight, we looked at a hearing that could lead to a milk price overhaul. Egg History Minute, we talked the Wisconsin State Fair. Cool beans, that's corny. We had our cool beans this week was new phosphate rock discovery in Norway. That's corny, so hot that it could really set back some crops that were finally getting somewhere. And our Field Good Friday was mislabeled jalapeno seeds have reached gardens nationwide, so surprise peppers out in the gardens of the United States. So thanks for listening, and as always, happy farming.